I just got a text from a friend, uh, <clears throat> and he said I was talking to him about listening back to some of these rambles that I do, and I curse way too much. It's funny though. I grew up. Well, first off, let me say what he said. He said the first thing is that you notice it. I was like, yeah, you know, I do. And I'm like, why do I fucking curse so much? See, I just did it then. But at, at the end of the day, I don't... It's going to be hard for me to filter out these kind of verbalizations of how I express my emotions. I don't curse in anger, right? So, like, the house I grew up in, uh, you know, I had a mom from the, from the Bronx. And, man, you know, that woman could uh, spit fire and growing up like in that environment, you know, every other word out of her mouth is fuck. So I curse a lot and I started thinking, I'm like, well, do I curse a lot in my writing? I do. <laughs> so, but here's the thing, right? Every single person loves Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know anyone who like has for some reason doesn't like that guy nothing bad ever came out about him you know he's been in Hollywood forever and I again it seems like no one has ever said a bad word about the dude um but all that dude says is fuck <laughs> I mean like that is his whole thing that's his shtick you know like that dude says fuck the way I say you know. <laughs> and hearing back and listening back to these podcasts and these ramblings, um, that, you know, besides this, this, the gross sound of my own voice, um, you hear these, you know, inflections and these curse words and these, you know, habits of speech. Um, and I think, you know, is there a habit in my writing, you know, again, specifically cursing? Um, uh, the rock and roll book that I'm working on. Uh, again, because all this podcast really is, is just therapy in order for me to finish this book. But this book has just been, you know, it, it's been grinding me down. It's been grinding me down. I've written, you know, 17 short stories in the meantime. I've written a novella, published a novella, uh, started two other novels, and I'm still working on this book. Um, and, you know, so now, great. So now I have to have this next in wave of insecurity through this next draft that I'm working on, uh, am I cursing too much? And my thing is, uh, I there's nothing I love more really than laughing. I love laughing my fucking ass off. Uh, you know, before you know the Corona thing, the pandemic, whatever. You know, I was going to stand-up comedy clubs by myself <laughs> at least once a month. Yeah. Anyone who was coming in through town that I was stoked to see, I was going to go. The last show I saw at, uh, it was at Punchline. Saw Mark Norman sat in the back. You know, I've seen Dave Chappelle at the Punchline and I saw him bring Chris Rock on stage. You know, I, I but laughing to me has always been, you know, one of my favorite things to do. Um, so part of comedy and comedic value is cursing. And I feel like if, if I'm going to have any people enjoy listening to this shit, you know, I have to be funny. You know, the book world is anything but funny. <laughs> uh, there is really nothing funny about it. Um, and that's a bummer because there's a lot of writers who write really funny shit. 
And You know Is it for lack of You know uh, Offending people You know we're talking about the written word Um, You know the written word Is the anchor to a lot of you know, it's the anchor to opinion. It's the anchor to emotion and feeling. Um, you know, verbalizing things has always been human instincts. Um, you know, but like growing up in this house of just, you know, <laughs> heavy curse words. And again, not necessarily in a wave of anger, but more so, oh, this guy's not going, uh, but more so a way of expressing, uh, uh, maybe it was anger, but you know, it, it's what it is. And I'm going to try to be, I guess, a little more conscious of my cursing, you know, but then again, I'm driving in this van, t- literally talking to no one. So uh, it's going to be hard for me to not, you know, say that, you know, or say fuck. Um, but we, we want it to be fun. I, I want it to be light. You know, I, I'm learning in these, you know, in these interviews, talking to authors and, you know, summer, down for you know getting a little uh, a little humorous and some aren't it's all good you know I'm always gonna go for the joke always um, you know there's always something funny to be had you know even in the most serious of times follow us always on Instagram let's get those follows up uh, it's writing friction um, I'm gonna tell you to follow me on Twitter but I don't ever use Twitter. But I, I think I got to start tweeting some stuff out. Um, and yeah, and always, please tell your friends. Check out the back episodes. Um, and I will uh, see you all next time. Thanks. What's going on, everyone? Uh, welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. Uh, today's guest, as always, is pretty cool. Um, I have on the phone all the way from Alaska... Eowyn Ivy, what's going on, Eowyn? Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. No, most definitely. What's uh, what's going on in your corner of America? <laughs> well, it's um, I think probably what a lot of people are dealing with in ways very quiet, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of craziness <laughs> in the in the rest of the world. Yeah, so no. uh, my little my little piece is very quiet. So that's a good thing, I guess. <laughs> Were you born and raised in Alaska? So my parents moved up here when I was about four, I think. So my whole memory life is in Alaska. I, I grew up here, and I, my husband and I went away for college down to Washington State, uh, um, but then ended up coming straight back home again. So we've been here ever since. My sister lived in Anchorage for about... Oh, yeah. Yeah, for about... Well, she met a guy, uh, and then she <laughs> left. Uh, but she was there for about yeah, almost six months. I never had the chance to go out there. It's kind of that, you know... What a what a crazy place. Even when you look on a map. <laughs> um, you know, and the first thing I thought about when, you know, we were going to start talking about is and you you write about it, but how important is Alaska to everything in your life? Most especially, you know, your writing. Yeah, it is definitely very essential, I think, in in what I do as a writer. I think that, you know, and I've kind of said this before, I feel like sometimes as a fiction writer, I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around what Alaska is to me personally and sort of its complex history and where we're at now. You know, it's it's just a, and, and you know, it's funny when you grow up here, I think a lot of us sort of take it for granted. We think, oh, every, you know, like we all do, every place is like where I live, right? <laughs> it's like you don't have any, you know, you don't really have a sense. I mean, I went on vacation with my family sometimes, but I didn't really get 
just how different Alaska was. Where was um, vacation? Well, because we had family in New York okay. and Alabama, okay. um, different places. So, you know, we would do some little traveling trips when I was a kid. Not a lot, though. Yeah. And it's, and it's different to live someplace versus just visiting, you know. And I think really it was the most eye-opening when I went away to college. Um, my husband and I went down to Washington. And everyone said, oh, you won't be homesick because it's just like Alaska down mm-hmm. there. Well, it was nothing, <laughs> it was nothing like Alaska, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, there were things I loved about it. But I, I think that was sort of a clarifying time for me where I realized, no, I, I want to be in Alaska, and I want to figure out why does it have this hold on me that I can't quite understand, you know? It's interesting. I mean, do you think you'd be the same writer if you were living in Cleveland? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I find those kind of questions really interesting, because yeah. the truth is, I think writers, most, not all, um, a lot of writers write from that place of trying to understand their community and mm. their, you know, their, the landscape they grew up in, whether that's a big city or whatever. So I, I think we're, we're driven by the same things, but certainly my subject matter would be very different. But I, I almost suspect that wherever I had grown up, maybe I would have this feeling of wanting to understand it better, maybe. I, I don't know. It's an interesting question. It is. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I was born in Queens, um, and but then we moved to northern New Jersey, <clears throat> where they filmed, like, The Sopranos. So that's where I grew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, yes. <laughs> So, so that has heavily affected my personality, for better or for worse. Um, and I, right, fe- right. so, so I wrote my, my my first book was published in February, and I've been living in oh. San, yeah, yeah, I've been living in San Francisco, literally right before the pandemic. Um, right. <laughs> wow, right, yeah. Well, congratulations on the book. Thanks, that's exciting. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, that's great. Um, but having lived in New Jersey, northern New Jersey, you know, for two thirds of my life, even after after having lived in San Francisco for almost a decade, I was still mm-hmm. writing a book about New Jersey. Jersey. Like, yeah, and it's interesting you say that about being in San Francisco. I mean, I don't know if you had this experience, but I think sometimes getting away from the place that you know so well mm-hmm. and, and being somewhere else, then you actually can almost look back a little better at the place that you, you, you know, when you grow up someplace. I don't know. Did you have that feeling when you got to California? Did it change how you viewed? Did, were you able to see um, your own home state a little differently? Or? M- most definitely. Um, yeah. An old roommate of mine kind of sum this up for me best he was like it's like pulling the camera back and I was able to get out of that you know (laughs) that literal swamp and now that when I get out of there when I go back they're they're the things I'm able to pick away from that I love about it and I'm able to almost appreciate the things I don't like about it yeah, um, but yeah. like with anything, that kind of conflict right like it's easy to write about me you know uh, sit you know, a guy putting cheese on my bacon and egg sandwich when I didn't ask for cheese. Like that's a very new, <laughs> like that, that's a very New Jersey thing. Um, it's, and, right, and, but, right. but, and something, you know, that obviously like, you know, drives me insane, but it's, you can write about that. Um, yeah. with Alaska yeah. though, I mean, I feel like if I was, you know, I've never been to Alaska. I, I, I'm just assuming that I can sit, you know, for mo- the most part, look out my window. Like right now I'm looking at an ambulance and a muni bus. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you're looking at, you know, maybe, a tree with some yeah. deer roaming by, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, so right now what I'm looking at is um, uh, leaves, the yellow leaves on the birch trees that are mostly knocked off, and there's a little bit of snow on the mountains in the distance, um, and mostly just trees. That's mostly what I can see. We have neighbors, but we're in the middle of about 40 acres, so we can't see, you know, it's funny, our neighborhood's close-knit in terms of doing stuff together mm-hmm. and, and, and helping each other out, but we can't see any. We can't see each other. <laughs> is that kind of what, when you look at, I mean, do you, well, uh, uh, you know, this kind of leads me off to a couple of questions. One, do you write at home? Yeah. 
Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I was thinking about, when we were thinking about getting ready to talk, I was thinking about, like, I think one of the questions that comes up right now is, like, has your life changed a lot by the pandemic? Sure. And, and mine really isn't. I mostly, you know, since my first book came out, The Snow Child, I have pretty much been at home as a full-time writer. Mm-hmm. Now, there's little things I do miss. Like, I, I do have a little coffee shop. Um, our nearest town is Palmer. It's about 30 miles away. And if I'm really actively writing, like, on a Friday, I'll give myself this treat that, hey, I can go down to the coffee shop and get a piece of pie and a latte and, <laughs> and write, and write kind there. <laughs> oh, they've got lots of good pies. Okay. They have apple pie that's actually really good. Um, and I, and it's kind of fun for me because I grew up in this town, so people come and go and say hi to me as they're mm-hmm. coming and going. You know, sometimes they'll sit down and talk with me for a little bit, but I get some writing done, and that was sort of a reward to myself if I'd spent every day home writing before that. But of course, I'm not doing that right now, so that's probably one of the, But mostly, you know, the same thing, I used to go to some, the library sometimes to write, but mostly I'm at home writing. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I don't know if you find this, but the truth is once I'm in the mode, it doesn't really matter where I am. I Always. Mean, it's, it's, it's just a matter of trying to get yourself in that mode is the, is the tough part sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yes. It's, it's something, it's something I beat to death on this podcast. It's like the idea of, you know, stretching out your muscles, right? So no matter every mm-hmm. time I'm going to sit down to write, I know it doesn't make a difference if I'm, if I'm in my apartment at a cafe, you know, on an airport floor, like it's going to take me 15, 20 minutes to get into that groove anyways. Um, yeah. and, and I remember, you know, when I first started writing, I, I was, you know, I had this superstitious idea of like, well, you can only write at this desk at this time. And you know, you got to, and it's just like, that, that's just not, that, that's not a reality anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, no, I do think I, I think you know, and I, and I love. I'm like a sucker for these books about you know writing writers' rituals, the things authors do. You know that always, you know, whether it was was it Hemingway who always stood up when he wrote or whatever. You know, I always find those things really interesting, and I think sometimes those little tricks can maybe help us get into a trance of writing. But the truth is, once once you're going, you're just going. And I feel like I found that I have to be a little bit flexible. You know, it was like during the summer my whole family was home um, and so I couldn't have the complete silence that I'm used to as a writer and I just was like okay well I've got to adapt to this you know sometimes things get thrown at you and you're like okay this isn't my normal writing experience but this is where I'm at now (laughs) was that a thing Hemingway did did he write standing up I think so you know there's Mm -hmm. a great book I think it's called Rituals ooh okay the name of it um, yeah, and it just talks about all these funny little things. And there was some writer, and I can't, I'm drawing a blank now, um, but he would, he, would, he would get up in the morning, get dressed, race out of the door like he was going to a 9-to-5 job, mm-hmm. and then come back inside and sit down. And it's funny, I can kind of relate to that, because I sometimes, I miss the adrenaline of working as a newspaper reporter. You know, I worked for about 10 years as a newspaper reporter um, before I was a bookseller, and there is a little bit of adrenaline you get when you know you've got a deadline, or you're, you're like, hey, I've got this amount of time to get this done and I don't have that kind of pressure I have a long term you know when you're working on a novel it's a much longer uh, game that you're looking at mm-hmm. so to get those little adrenaline rushes I've actually thought about trying that trick but I haven't yet <laughs> that's um, what well, you talked about being a newspaper reporter um, a book I'm reading right now I'm, I'm almost finally done with it um, it's called Homicide it was written by David Simon and he created the, the television show The Wire uh, oh yeah, yeah. I knew I recognized his name, but I um I haven't read the book. The, and so the, he was just he was on the beat, West Baltimore, in you know in the police station. But uh, 
the way he writes about it, I mean, you know, it's he, you know, he's writing like almost like fictitious, fictitiously about nonfiction in a way. Um, right, and, I know exactly what you mean. And it keeps you so, so enthralled. Did you, do you think, you know, talking to you about it now, all those years spent, you know, writing in the newsroom, how, how did that shape your writing fiction? Yeah, I have. I absolutely think it helped me. I mean, I, you know, it's a craft like anything else. And I think that was, um, I started out as a creative writing major and I just, I wasn't getting what I wanted to out of the program. And I switched to journalism and this was my, you know, earning my bachelor's degree, switched to journalism. Um, and what I loved about it is like, okay, we're going to roll up our sleeves and learn how to do a job. You know, it just felt much more hands-on, practical. You got to get the sentences written and get them done quickly and make them coherent. Um, and I think all that time, you know, I think a lot about, is it, is it Malcolm Gladwell that talks about like 10,000 hours? <laughs> yeah, that? it's one of those things. Somebody yeah. like that. You know, this idea that you've yeah. got to put the amount, that, that there is this amount of time that it takes of doing something to get good at it. And mm-hmm. I, I, I believe in that because I think that did help me. Now, that being said, I think when I left the newspaper business, it was a good move for me because I didn't really want to write journalism. I wasn't, a, like, that wasn't what I loved to read. Um, I, I realized I didn't want to write nonfiction like a, a book length nonfiction. I've always loved fiction. So there was a point where I was like, okay, this has been great. I've learned a lot, but it's not really what I want to do, you know? And so that was when I, I kind of made the switch. But Did it kind of put a discipline in you? I mean, I can only imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. had to. And I, yeah, and I think, too, that it made me feel... Um, I don't know, like, I felt like in the creative writing department, I was in danger of feeling like my words were a little too precious. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's something about a newspaper business where you you write a story, the next day it's either in the paper, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's junked because something bigger came along, or you just didn't do a good enough job on the story. Uh And there's a sense that, like, you know what, this is, I remember I had one editor who would say, don't take this too seriously. Tomorrow it's going to be lining someone's (laughs) birdcage. It was like... Yeah, and it's true. It's like, okay, these are just, it's just, a, it's a job. It's a story to tell. You do the best you can, but mm-hmm. don't, you know, you, I got very much used to being edited and criticized and um, and sometimes not very kindly by readers that disagreed or thought I hadn't done a good job. Mm-hmm. And it makes, it made me anyways feel like, okay, I can, I got pretty thick skin. You know, I can, I can take this. I can try to make my work better. And I didn't believe that, that my writing was like, you know, God's gift to man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah, knew of that, course. That, be, that, that other people could help me make it better and I think that was a good lesson for me too it's I mean you talk about having thick skin I mean especially with writing and writing fiction writing you know lengthy novels I mean you have to be you have to have thick skin because you you get so emotionally involved with your work that if you don't I mean it'll it'll cripple you beyond belief um like I I always I always talk about stand-up comedians being on stage right like if you tell if you (laughs) like if you tell a joke and it doesn't work, you know immediately. Immediately, yeah. right? So you're talking about having this immediate feedback from editors and things like that and growing a thick skin. Um, you know, I, it's so important, I think, for our, our own mental well-being to have a thick skin as a creative too, right? Because, you're, you're, yeah. you know, when you're dealing with down and all that kind of shit, and you're just dealing with that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. No, and I, I mean, I, and, I, and I don't want to... Um make it sound like I'm a better person than I am. The truth is, when I've been working on a novel for a long time and I turn it into my agent or to an editor and they're like, yeah, we're excited about this, but man, this whole part needs to be changed. Oh, I mean, it, it, man, breaks my, you know, it breaks my heart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and also I feel defensive mm-hmm. and like, man, am I just really a crappy writer? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have to sit there for a minute and be like, no, you know what? I They might not know how I can fix it, but the fact that they're 
seeing a problem is valid and mm-hmm. I need to figure out how to how to work through it, you know. And um, and at the same time, there's other times where I'm like, no, you know what, I, I disagree with that criticism. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stick to stand, stand my guns on this one and say, no, this is how I want it. And I have done that some. But th- truly, mostly I found that good readers are right when they see that something's not working. And again, mm. I don't think they usually have the answer for you because that just it just doesn't, I found personally it doesn't work that way. And mm-hmm. they say, well, why don't you try this or try fixing it that way? That's not usually what will work. But um, if I put my brain to it, I can usually find some way to fix the problem they've identified. And I do think that goes back to journalism and, and just, you know, knowing that you that it can always be better. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tend to be somebody who I finish something and I want to move on. I want to be done with it. And, uh, from New Jersey, and the editing right. process for me is being like, okay, no, I can re- work through this some more and it can be refined, you know. But it's being open to that criticism. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I've been writing a couple of short stories recently only because, you know, so I own a dog walking business. That That's how I pay my rent. Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, it, it awards me some, you know, a good amount of free time right now um, mm-hmm. after work. So I've been working on one novel, but, you know, in order to kind of keep my mind fresh, I've been doing these short stories. Um, and yeah. I, I wrote I wrote one, submitted it to the New Yorker, and they immediately rejected it, right? And oh, wait, sure. wait, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's been talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, but like that yeah. rejection, you know, to me, like you could either be the kind of person where it, it you know, you turn down, you're like, well, maybe, you know, like, like you said, maybe I'm just a crappy writer, maybe, you know, oh. Or, or you can just use it to keep going forward um, and have yeah. that kind of discipline. It's, it's hard. I mean, and, and and like again, I love books about writing, and I think in Stephen King's on writing, he, yeah, that's um, what I was going to say. A lot about Literally. rejection, you yes. know, and and I found that really helpful. And that's the trick of it is somehow to, to let the rejection come in enough to see, okay, do they have a valid point? Is mm-hmm. there some valid reason that this isn't succeeding? And then at the same time to have the sort of gumption to keep going, you know, and it's mm-hmm. hard. It mm-hmm. really, it's, it's a tough, um, and, and, it, and I found that I, I guess maybe there was some part of me that thought like, oh, once you publish one book, then, then that part of the process is over, but, <laughs> but it's not. There's still a lot of rejection and people telling you it's not good enough. You got to make it better, you know, and um, it's, it's hard. And I think, I think it sort of, I mean, the one thing is I think it weeds out the people that, that, um, that aren't, that don't just love the writing part mm-hmm. of it. You know, like if you're only going to stick it out if you really, really just love the, the writing process. Oh, yeah. Because uh, otherwise it can be pretty unrewarding Oh, I mean, time, every, <laughs> every day is just an uphill battle of absolute it's, drudgery. I um, know. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you mentioned, only because you mentioned it, Stephen King's On Writing. I mean, that was the book that made me think I could be a writer. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you know, I mean, it's like, it's half bio, half uh, advice. And the, yeah. the advice, I mean, the, he's just very matter of fact. He talks about, you know, submitting that first novel while he was teaching, um, you know, yeah. getting, getting rejected in the beginning. Um, and, you know, it, it's, there's a couple of authors. What was the name of the book you had mentioned just before? Rituals? Yeah, I wish. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Here it is. Uh, actually, I've got a whole bookshelf here of all my writing books. Exactly. It's called yeah. Daily Rituals. Okay. Um, How Artists Work by Mason Curry, and it's just kind of a it's just a fun one because it's just all these little snippets of the crazy fun things that authors have done. You know, famous authors, and um, yeah, that was. But yeah, um, on writing, and I found too that um, it, certain books at certain times really speak to me, and then years later I can go back to them, and it's like for whatever reason they don't ring out the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I think it's certain phases, but I'll have to say on, Stephen King's on writing is one that I've gone back to a few times, and I just find, you know, he's just got a great um, 
very personable um, approach, you know, that makes you feel like, okay, he's a real human being and he got through this. Oh, <laughs> yeah. For, yeah for anyone who doesn't know about Stephen King's history, I mean, that dude was one of the gnarliest dudes ever. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean you, you we're talking about rituals. I think his ritual was drinking 38 beers, a gram of, co- <laughs> a, a gram of cocaine, and like 17 Slayer records every night. Um, yeah. You know, like, like he talks about extensively, you know, he had a huge substance abuse problem, but he also t- yeah. he talks about something that's very interesting to me that I can't do at all. He wrote with music blasting, which is fine, but he had music that had lyrics. I can't, when I'm writing, yeah. I can't listen to anything with lyrics at all. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I go through phases, I've had times where the right songs at the right time, I'll have a playlist and I can listen to it, um, and then other times it's like, I can't even have, you know, a squirrel squeaking outside, Literally. it's going to drive yeah, me crazy. Yeah, it's <laughs> unbelievable. Um, so you, you, so yeah. you say you write at your house, do you write every day, you write at the same time, any kind of routine for you? Yeah, I mean, I try, you know, like right now, I, you know, I have a deadline, I have a contract for my next book, um, and it's due in about a year, so I've kind of got it spaced out in my head, how many words? I need to progress forward, you know, mm-hmm. each day. And so I do. I try to write, you know, in the morning. Not super. I'm not a morning person. So when I say You're morning, not. I mean like 10. No, no. I, oh. I am not a morning person. Um, I get up with my husband and daughter and get them off to school and work. And then I go back to bed. You really? Oh, my God. I'm, I, yeah, I, get, yeah. I get up at 545 and I start writing oh, at 615. <laughs> I wish I was that kind of person. I really do. I really admire people who are morning people. And I always thought that maybe when I got older, I would, you know, I always think of people who are more responsible. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe, but I'm just, I never have. So I'm talking like 10 o'clock, you know. So I'll Uh write from like 10 to noon. Um, I I find I cannot write for more than a couple hours. And I mean, like, seriously, just sitting at the computer writing. Um, I just, I kind of reach a burnout point. But then, you know, I'll go for a hike or I'll do some laundry or whatever. And I find my brain still percolating along, like thinking about it. So I, I have come to realize when I'm really engaged um, with my story, I'm really working on it all the time in, my, in the back of my head. It's yeah. just that I'm not at my desk. But back to, I think you might have mentioned something a minute ago, like you, you got to sit, sit down at the, I find I got to sit down at the desk every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to engage with the manuscript in order to keep, you know, and if something comes along and I'm away from it for a week or so, I, I get a little intimidated by it. Oh, I yeah. start to feel like, um, like, man, maybe I don't know what I'm doing and maybe this is a crappy story idea you know mm-hmm. and, and it takes me a few days to get back over that feeling um, so I try really hard and I treat it kind of like a job a nine to five you know I work Monday through Friday I don't tend to work on it during the weekend mm-hmm. um, but that's a luxury I understand I mean when I when I was writing the snow child um, I was working you know we had a brand new baby and our older daughter and then it was a matter of like I'm going to squeeze in an hour um, you know in the evening mm-hmm. while my husband puts the kids to bed and that was a very different time in my life where I had to just write when I had the time, yes. you know, so I, it's sort of this luxury that I have now where I can be like, I'm going to write from 10 till noon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, but, but again, but you said you're doing it every day. Like, um, it, it's amazing. The more authors I talk to, the more different things I hear. Like, again, I'm the same way. Like, yeah. I need to write, you know, at the same time every day, you know, whatever kind of personality type that is. But I recently uh, was talking to, uh, you, you know, Rebecca Mackay? Yeah. 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 She, I was recently speaking with her and she's like, I don't write every day. She's yeah, like, you know, yeah. I write when I want to write. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, you could talk to another author is like, I write because I'm looking at the bills on my desk. Um, yeah. You know, so, Absolutely. yeah. It, it, well, and that's why I'm 
always, I, I'm actually uncomfortable, like, giving writing, quote-unquote, writing advice, mm-hmm. because I, I realize that there are, even in my own life as a writer, my approach has changed, my reasons have changed, my motivation has changed. Like, you know, like you say, sometimes you're writing because you need to get the bills paid, yeah. and you've got some freelance work, or you've got whatever, you know. Um, other times it's, like, purely for fun, and it's just something you're you're experimenting with, and, and how we go about it, and what works, like, I just feel like, the only thing I do find helpful is I personally have found it helpful to just read what author, other authors do, partly because it kind of gives me the freedom to do, I, I have this realization of like, oh, basically I just need to do what works for me in this moment, in this time, you mm-hmm. know, like right now this is what works, but maybe tomorrow I'm going to have to find a new approach, you mm-hmm. know, um, but, I, but absolutely, I, you know, there's people that say you have to keep a journal, <laughs> like you should always keep a journal. I've, I've tried so many times to keep a journal, and I have all these abandoned journals around <laughs> my Never. Where I've like started, you know, I'll start October first, blah blah blah, and then I think, oh, who the hell cares, you know? And uh, so I think, like, if a journal, keeping a daily journal works for you, fantastic. If it doesn't. That's fine, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the journal thing is never, ever. I mean, I, I, I write, I, I'm always writing on my phone. So, like, voice memos. Like, oh, if, yeah. You know, when ideas pop into my head, like, voice memos, notes. Like if I'm walking dogs in the woods, I will, uh, right. that, that's my dog barking right now. Let me, uh, watch, no. we're, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to pause it, and then we're going to let her come out to the cage, and we'll come right back. Hold on one sec. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, but the taking the journal thing that that's never worked for me and, and writing on my phone. I again, my, the way my life is right now, it was kind of like how you were talking about writing your first book. I don't have a child. Right. But I have this puppy that we just had to pause the episode. <laughs> yeah, for. That's a full time job. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And I also work a full time job. Um, yeah. And I right. also I also need to find time to read. Um, yeah. You know, I, I try to read every day. Yeah. So the economy of time is, you know, I'm always talking about that. And it's interesting to hear that you did your first book that way. Um, yeah. Do, do, I mean, do you like look back on it now and like have these, you know, <laughs> romantic, you know, ideas of how it was <laughs> back then? Or was it kind of just like, like you said, like, I have one hour, I got to do this shit, just get it, do it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I think the part of what really motivated me during that time is I kind of felt like this little hour that I got was such a precious gift to me, you know, because my husband was like, I'm going to juggle the kids. I'm going to get the baby to sleep yeah. and, and help our older kid. So it was a gift that he was giving to me. And I knew I would feel guilty if I was, you know, just playing solitaire. Yeah, no, totally, of course. So it was like, I had to, and the truth is in ways it's harder now to motivate myself because I have all day mm. and I have all week. And so sometimes it's a little easy to be like, ah, you know, and I almost feel like the discipline is more important now. I have oh, to yeah. just make myself sit down because otherwise a week can go by and, and I haven't gotten anything done. And like I was saying, then I get intimidated. I get scared of the storyline somehow. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It's a weird feeling. But um, so I know that I just need to keep keep staying engaged with the story and keep thinking about it. And when you mentioned about reading, like even the reading I'm doing, um, I, I'm like, I'm naturally drawn to things that I think will feed into the information I want for my story or whatever, you know, so it, mm-hmm. it starts to all, like my thinking um, life starts to all revolve around the story, which is when I know that I'm doing the work I need to do, I think, you know. Well, sure. Yeah, and, and like, you know, for me, you know, maybe it's the same for you, but when I'm, when I read, I get inspired. Um, oh, so, absolutely. You know, so I'm going, I, I'm late to the game, but I'm going through all of Cormac McCarthy's catalog. Oh, yeah. I love Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. He's such a stylist. Like, I just find his, um, this very 
fair poetry mm-hmm. is just incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he's a dangerous one for me though because I, I find like if I'm reading a lot of him and I'm going back to the page, I'll start to kind of mimic some of his, and I'm like, oh wait, wait, guys. You took you took the words out of my mouth, and, and, and what I mean, and, and like what I mean by that is deleting all of my commas. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like well, and it's interesting because when I was writing the Snow Child, my first book, um, you know, I ended up that my one of my main characters is the Snow Child, and I ended up getting rid of all my quote marks, um, quotation marks, that, ah. where she was part of the conversation, and that was partly realizing, you know, it's funny how, and I think Stephen King talks about that, the idea that like you're gathering tools, you're filling your toolbox, yes, yes. and to realize when you read someone like Cormac McCarthy that you can do whole different things with with punctuation and mm-hmm. quotation marks, and just realizing that that's an option, it might seem obvious, but it didn't seem obvious to me, I guess, um, until I was reading it, and I was like, oh, you could you could just ditch all this, exactly. you know, and it was like okay, that just, maybe you don't do it all the time, or maybe you you know just facilitate uh, utilize it in certain ways, um, but it can be a useful tool to have always. And, and I, I'm always saying you have to be a good reader to be a good writer, in my opinion. And I agree, you know, I agree. And, yeah, and, and being good, a good reader is what you're talking about right now. It's like oh, um, here's a style. Maybe I can get inspired by this and use a little bit of this in my own right. Yep. Um, again, yep. Kermit McCarthy is an extreme example because he's so singular in his voice that if you do start end up like writing like him, <laughs> it, you just you just sound like him. He's like... Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... I, I remember when I, the first book I read was All the Pretty Horses, and I, I don't think there's a comma. Oh, I think that's my favorite, actually. I there's love not a comma, book. I don't think, in the first seven pages of the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but it's just like the way it keeps you going. It's just constantly going, constantly going. Um, yeah. So I want to actually talk about a, a quick little left turn. Um, so your book, The Snow Child, obviously, you know, was very successful and helped with a lot of things. It, w- it was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, right? Right, right. What was that experience like? I mean, is that even something worth talking oh, about? It was, <laughs> well, it was just insane, really. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is I, I, I was always a reader before I was a writer. Like, yeah. growing up, I loved to read. And, and when I was working as a newspaper reporter, I was reading, you know, everything I could get my hands on. And I would, I would watch for the Pulitzer List sure. because I knew they were books that I loved. And you especially know, as a journalist, news, too. Think, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, exactly. And the Pulitzer has a huge amount of meeting in, in, the, in the news yeah. uh, room. But, so I like I knew that um, the list was coming out um, that spring, but I assumed. I mean, first of all, it just never occurred to me that my book would be on it. But also, I would have assumed that like the people would have been notified weeks ahead of time, right? That they were on this list. Uh-huh. So the day came out, they were announcing the Pulitzer finalists, and then they announced at the same time the two finalists and the winner. Um, it's just there's no like long list, short list. It's uh-huh. just all at once. And uh, and so I'm I'm on. You know, I get up in the morning and I turn on the computer, and oh, I can't wait to see what the Pulitzer list is. <laughs> Uh, and I get an email at that moment from my publicist saying, "Hey, you're a you're a finalist." Fucking crazy. <laughs> for the the so child, the finalist for Pulitzer, and I was like, "You gotta be!" It was the most surreal thing. And I called my mom. My mom actually has since passed away, but she was my writing partner, and she was a poet. And uh, we talked to each other every day about writing. And I called her and I told her. And uh, I've been known to be a bit of a, a a prankster, and I had played a lot of April Fool's uh-huh. jokes on her and done things. And she said, you, "You're shitting me." Yeah. You're, you're, I don't believe you. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, thanks, mom. Crazy, you get a lot of confidence you have in me." And just, 
That's crazy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was surreal. But then, of course, the funny thing about it is, is it really, I mean, it changed my life in the sense that um, it, it, it continued to help propel the Snow Child to have success. And it has enabled me to write full time. Um, but beyond that, you know, in my day-to-day life, it's, it, you know, it's not like I walk around with a sign. Of course <laughs> not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's something I'm hugely... Um, uh, honored by, um, but, but yeah, it was very surreal. Very well, surreal. And, and you talked about continuing the life of the book, and unless the internet's incorrect, they made they made it into a musical. Yeah, they did. So, are you so, got to break uh, that down because because uh, I'm a musician. I've been playing guitar my whole life. Um, oh, and, nice. And, and, yeah, well, musicals have always been a weird thing with me. Uh, yeah, they no, could, I was shocked when uh, musicals are a strange. It's a, it's yeah, a very different format. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what happened is um, Perseverance Theater up here in Alaska, um, uh, the woman who had helped establish it had then moved on to Washington, D.C. and started up Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. But Perseverance Theater up here in Alaska and and Arena Stage started to work on this um, together of wanting to put together the musical of The Snow Child. And um, to be honest, I was a little skeptical. I mean, I'm actually even a little, you know, it's been optioned for a film, too, and I'm a little, like, I'm excited, but I'm also a little nervous about that prospect. You know, I, I think we've all experienced you know, a book that we love, and then we see the movie, and we're like, huh. Um, so it's, it's hard. I, I was apprehensive about it. And with the musical, I was just like, I cannot wrap my head around this. Um, but they ended up doing, they actually put it on um, in D.C., and my husband and uh, daughter and I went to go see it. And uh, it was really fun. And, I, and I'll tell you one of the, my favorite things about it is that they, and this sounds so crazy, and it's hard to describe, but they had these really ethereal, magic puppet kind of things that were used for some one of the more fantastic elements. So, for example, the fox was a puppet. And it, and it sounds weird when I say it, but on stage, it was just, it was really magical. Mm-hmm. And um, the music was fun. It was kind of a more sort of a bluegrass, folksy take on So it wasn't like your typical, you know, kind of Chicago Broadway musical. It was a much more appropriate to 1920s Alaska um, kind of music style. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it was really weird to be sitting there seeing something, you know, and I don't know, you have this feeling, but like you're, 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 when I write a book, it, it feels a bit like a dream, like it's something very personal um, that you're trying to describe and put out in the world. And then to see something that feels like an intimate dream to you um, translated into a musical where these people are singing the parts. I mean, it was it was crazy. It's crazy. I mean, did you have any, do you have any input at all on the production, like the music, or they're kind of just like we're taking it. I hope you like it. Right. No, you know they were really great because they they involved me as much as I wanted to be involved. So to be honest, I really I didn't want to have any. You know, I don't. I didn't want to try to write a screen. You know, in the in the for example for the movie, try to write a screenplay or try to write the dramatic parts of it. Or and I don't know. I mean, I love music. Music, but I'm, I'm no musician, yeah, you know, yeah, I wasn't yeah. going to... So they were kind enough to, like, let me hear parts, like, as things were coming together, uh-huh. they would tell me their ideas. So it was nice to feel like they were they were very generous in letting me know what was going on. But I don't... I, I didn't have any interest in being involved beyond that, you know? Yeah. Like, I was already working... I mean, that's the other weird thing. I mean, The Snow Child, like, I was actively writing it, um, you know, gosh, 20, 10, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. Yeah, no, sure. Um, so it feels really distant to me now. Yeah, and course. it's kind of like I have a certain, um, maybe this is a little harsh, but a certain impatience with it. Like I, by the time,
time the musical came out, like I was very much involved in my next book. You know, and yeah, you're always, I mean, you, you know what I mean? It's a funny, and I'm sure you, I don't know if you've experienced that yet with your book coming out, but it's funny to be talking about something that you were actively writing quite a while ago. By the time the publishing process goes through all its things, you know, it's, it's a ways out. <laughs> well, could you break that down a little bit if you don't mind? I mean, you know, you start writing a book. You know, how long did it take you to f- from the first word to the final period of the final draft of that of the Snow Child? I mean, how long of that time? Was? Yeah, it's hard for me to put my fingers on because what happened with me is I I started writing it um, and I was pretty excited about it yeah. and I had been working on it for maybe. I'm guessing a little, maybe about a year, year and a half. Uh. It's hard to remember exactly. Um, and I was about three quarters of the way done with it. And I met um, my, who ended up being my agent. I met Jeff Kleiman at a literary um, festival a conference up here in Alaska. And he offered to represent it, even though it wasn't finished. Oh, wow. And so then he and I ended up working on it um, for about a year on revisions and just getting it ready to go. And then he started submitting it here and there, but it was kind of during the recession. And, mm. he, and he, like, he submitted a couple places, and he was like, you know what, I think this is bad timing. Let's hold off for a while. And then it seems like it was maybe another year before it got bought. And then it actually came out like a year and a half after it's, that. I mean, it, do you think, you know, you're a, little, you're a little more involved with the traditional publishing world than I am, but do you right. think, I mean, is, it, is this a sluggish process? Do you think this process it, could be streamlined nowadays? No, I think that it's always crazy how long it takes for a book to come out. Uh, yeah, because they have, and I and I had a sense of it because I'd worked for about ten years as a bookseller. Okay. So you know the time that they need to get advanced reader copies out, to uh, get blurbs or to get reviews, and then they got to get in the catalogs and they got to promote it to booksellers, mm-hmm. and they're trying to have it at these different book expos. I mean, it's just a long. And then you know the, the editing process. So oh, I, yeah. I edit with my agent, <laughs> and then I edit with my one editor, and then I have some edits from my UK editor, uh, and then. And it's like, okay, now we've got the copy editor and we have this kind of editor. Oh, <laughs> it's, just, it's a long, but I'll tell you, I mean, I'm grateful for all that because sure. every part of the process catches little things, you fine tune, you fine tune. And, uh, but it is, it's a long, so by the time, you know, and it's like every once in a while I still get asked to do a book club for the snow child. And I've gotten to where I'm hesitant to say yes, because I don't, I don't remember asking <laughs> now. I mean, it's yeah. been so you know, like, I, like, I'll be like, oh, wait, shoot, what character is that? Yeah, you know, like, no, it's totally. been a long time since I wrote it, you know, totally. so it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. Yeah, I mean, strange. you know, musicians, again, they kind of have the same feeling, too. You know, you write a record, you release a record, and then you're touring it, you know, traditionally for a year or two. You know, after right. two years, like, you got to start writing a new record, but every night you got to still yeah. play those old songs. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, I, I have to admit, every once in a while, like, up here, um, Kodiak, uh, which is an island off the coast of Alaska that has a... A, a, a fairly good sized community there and their library system just chose my second book to the bright edge of their world as their um, community read like one book one read and I was so excited because mm-hmm. to be honest I get tired of talking of about course. the snow child I mean I'm so grateful for how well it's done and I'm so grateful for all the support from readers and booksellers but it's like when bright edge of the world gets a little attention I'm like yeah a thousand percent <laughs> yeah I mean Rebecca <laughs> Rebecca said the same thing um, her book The Great Believers you know got super popular and right, she right. was just like you know I'm super grateful, you know, two years later to still be talking about it, but she's like, but it's two years later. Like, yeah, yeah I got it. You yeah. know, like there are things going on. Um, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, but especially with books, because, you know, books 
have such a crazy literal i mean that's where the term comes from like shelf life right i mean yeah, yeah. They, they, these books live on shelves forever and you know for as long as bookstores are still around um yeah. Do, you, yeah do you read every day are you a big reader what are you reading right now Oh yeah, I'm a huge reader. I, um, I like I said, I was kind of really how I came to wanting to write was was being a big reader. And and like you, I try to make a point of spending some time every day mm. reading. Um, I also love audiobooks. I feel like audiobooks ah. are kind of my cheater, my cheater thing. I do a lot of audiobooks. Like if I'm driving to pick up my daughter, do you or feel I'm watching cheating dishes, though? Is it? It does feel like okay, cheating. Okay. Is that horrible? I feel like I'm like not doing the hard work. It feels so easy, you know. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> I know. But I do. Some- I love it. And. And I've gotten through some books that I wouldn't like. War and Peace, not that long ago, <laughs> years ago. Um, I, I what I did is I went back and forth between the hard copy. I had a hard copy, but yeah. I also had the audio book, and yeah. so I would listen to it, and then I would sit down and read it. And, and it was something about the narration and the voices on the audio that really helped me get into it a lot more. Oh, yeah. You know, and then I was excited to keep going. And uh, so audiobooks are, I love them. <laughs> War and Peace. That's a funny one to choose. That's interesting. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Well, because I did like Anna Karenina and. Uh, uh, and I did have the sense that it was sort of like the Russian version of Pride and Prejudice. Fair which, enough. Fair I don't know. Enough. Maybe not so much. It's a little more, uh, it's it's different. But I, I did really enjoy it. I'm, I'm glad that I did it. Um, uh, and, and the audiobook helped. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know some people who do audiobooks. And what they'll do is they'll do it um, one and a half speed. So a, a, li- yeah. a little faster. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just get through it quicker. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I got I'll be honest. I've never, I've, and it's not, you know, it's nothing. It's, there's no reason why, but I've never listened to an audiobook in my life. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I don't yeah. know why. I, you know why? I mean, I do know why. I guess I listen to I listen to podcasts, right? So, like to yeah, me, yeah. the book still is to, in my mind not an audio thing. But when you say it feels yeah. like cheating, to me, I agree, but I also disagree because I feel like audiobooks are. I know a lot of my friends who have never read a book in their life, but listen to audiobooks. Yeah. 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 Well, I I find that one thing that I, I think especially because I'm sitting down writing for a few hours or a couple hours and and i i just get tired of sitting i mean that's the truth of it so oh, sometimes yeah. it's hard to just like sit down in a chair to read a book um but i do you know there's a lot of books that don't come out in audiobooks or books yeah. that i just want um right now i'm reading a nonfiction owls of the eastern ice and um either I, it might not even be an audiobook but also i wanted the photographs and the maps and things mm-hmm. of nonfiction, and i'm reading that and and like a lot of avid readers i always have like six books going on at once so i'm well, listening to one audio book and listening, you know, reading this book and reading that book you know? people think <laughs> i'm like, crazy when i do that i'm like I, that makes no sense i mean how I, maybe it's just the way my mind works but i cannot read just one book at a time no, no, I, know. You know, I, I get too tempted yeah like, i'm reading two fi- i'm looking at my books for, I, i'm looking at the shelf you know i'm reading two fiction one nonfiction, a graphic novel um yeah i have i just picked up dennis johnson uh jesus's son so that's a collection of, oh yeah, yeah i yeah, love yeah yeah big yeah, fan he's amazing he um, kind of blew my mind a little bit actually did you read yeah. tree of, did, you, think- did you read tree of smoke um, no, I read uh, the one that you just short story Jesus question signed, you just yeah, mentioned. Yeah. You know, actually, it's his quote that I have up on my bulletin board right here that oh. I put up. 
and it's from him, and it's it's about writing, and it says, write naked. Yeah. That means to write what you would never say. Write in blood as if ink is so precious you can't waste it. Write in exile as if you're never going to get to go home again, and you have to call back every detail. You get in your teacup and take your oar and strike off for Australia, and if you wind up in Japan, you're ecstatic. <laughs> there, I mean, I love that quote. <laughs> Dennis Johnson bringing us all together. I mean, uh, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's such a good yeah, quote. Um, yeah, he's, he's pretty amazing. Although I do find it hard reading in ways. I mean, it's pretty... uh, Dennis Johnson. Tree of Smoke is not an easy read whatsoever. Um, Yeah. You know, but But I also... Having a couple books going at one time because mm-hmm. I, you know, I'll have some kind of you know fun murder mystery or something going and a nonfiction. Oh yeah, and then something that's a little heavier that I feel like okay, whew, that's important to read and I'm glad I did, but it's not easy, you know. Yeah, and, and again, as a writer, it's it, you ha- you have to be you know you have to be spending this time reading. Um, I, I just yeah, don't, I, don't I, even, I couldn't even imagine doing it any other way. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I always am hesitant to say you know always you know as far as with with recommendations for writers, but I have to say that's one of the few things I do say, read, 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 you know, it's like, I feel like that's, it's kind of, um, I feel like that's coming at it from the right place of like, um, wanting to participate in this literary conversation that's going on, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and being aware of the people that have come before you, um, and learning as much as you can from them. Oh yeah. Um, we're going to, kind of cut it off here because Reba is trying to get this pen from me. Um, but I actually had a, I, I, I had a quick question because I'm, I'm afraid she's going to pull the microphone out. Um, speaking of being a good reader, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were named after a character in a book? I was. And what my book mom was that? After the, from the Lord of the Rings. From, oh, the character from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You? And of course, this was a long, long before the movies came out. Of so course. as a little kid, nobody ever recognized what the name was from. You know? Of course. But, <laughs> but were, were you force-fed the Lord of the Rings trilogy after that? No. You know, the funny thing is, is my mom never, she might have read some of The Hobbit to me when I was a little kid. Uh-huh. She read to me a lot when I was little. Uh-huh. But no, I, I think I was, um, I think when I was young, I tried to read The Lord of the Rings too soon because I knew my name was in it. <laughs> and, I ne- I, and it took me a long time to try to go back to it. It really wasn't that long ago that I read them for the first time, and I, I enjoyed them a lot. But no, uh, my mom, like me, was an avid reader, and, and she read tons of poetry and Agatha Christie. I mean, she was uh-huh. all over the place, you know, yeah. so that was kind of the atmosphere. I grew up in. That's so funny. Um, anyway, I, I feel like we could talk for another hour. Um, hopefully, we could do it again. Um, do you want to yeah. let people know of anything that's going on with you right now? Are you on social media at all or anything like that? Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm, I'm on there. I'm not. I'm not fantastic on that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, but I am. I'm on Twitter and I have a Facebook page and all those things. Um, so yeah, definitely can look me up there. And um, I'll, uh, I'll. If I see it, I'll try to repost. If you send me an email to your link, I'll repost your uh, repost the link to the the podcast. Yeah, no, most definitely. Yeah, no, most definitely. Great. Um, again, yeah, I feel like we could talk for another hour, but Reba is about to. Yeah, she's trying to get a pen. Uh, <laughs> no, this is great. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it no, this was a blast. Um, yeah, and again, so uh, everyone who's listening, um, please obviously buy Awin's books. If you're going to buy them, buy them from the local bookstore. What's the local bookstore by you? Fireside Books. Nice. Um, okay. Good books, bad coffee is their website. <laughs> Great. And, and everyone in SF, go buy all the copies from Green Apple Books because that's our favorite bookstore. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and this has been another episode of Writing Friction. Everyone, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you all next time.